0: "'After leasing Silah, but know that the Lord "'has set apart him that is godly for himself. "'The Lord will hear when I call unto him. "'Stand in awe and sin not. "'Commune with your own heart upon your bed "'and be still Silah. "'Offer the sacrifices of righteousness "'and put your trust in the Lord. "'There be many that say, "'Who will show us any good?' Lord lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us that thou hast put gladness in mine heart in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased i will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou lord only makest me to dwell in safety. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to be here. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen and help each person, Father, that's here tonight. And God, I pray that they would be uh, be encouraged and blessed. And Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, we, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this psalm, uh, the the title there reads to the chief musician, An Nedjanoth. And I probably did not say that right. A Psalm of David. Uh, and uh, we see that title. Nejanoth is a Hebrew word. And it is the plural form of uh, Nejenah." And again, I don't know if I said that one right. So I, I don't do Hebrew too well. I can speak Spanish and Italian and English, but I don't do Hebrew very well. And uh, so we find that uh, I looked that up because I thought, what is that Nejanoth? What does that mean? What is it? And neginoth is the general term used for all stringed instruments. So this psalm is... To the chief musician, uh, that would be the conductor of the stringed instruments. And so I just give you that by way of information. It also shows up in Psalm 54, 55, 61, 67, and 76. So it shows up a few times uh, throughout the Psalm, the book of Psalms. Uh, but we don't know the guy that was in charge. We don't have his name. Uh, it's not written down for us. You can note down First Chronicles. Chapter number 6 and verses 31 all the way through 47. I read that and there's a bunch of uh, musicians that are listed there. And, uh, and that's their names, and those are the people that uh, David had selected uh, to be in charge of the temple and the ministry of the music uh, over that temple. And it's quite interesting to read that list and study some of those things, but we're not going to do that for sake of time. So I just wanted to give you that information uh, just by way of information. But I want us to look in the psalm, verse number 1. The Bible says here, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. We have verse 1 opens up very clearly in this psalm that he's praying. And uh, that's not new for us. Many of the psalms are a prayer. Uh, But I want you to notice that this is just verse 1 really is his closet of prayer. And I love his first statement that he starts right out with. He says, "O God of my righteousness," and that phrase is unique to uh, to this passage. It doesn't show up anywhere else in Scripture. But uh, but it understand this. He says, "O God of my righteousness." Understand this: that we in and of ourselves do cannot obtain righteousness. It comes from God. It's not from us, and we don't have the ability uh, to, to make ourselves righteous. The Bible says this in Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And there is no amount of good works or good deeds or money or anything that we could do that would make us Righteous. And I find it refreshing to see that in the Old Testament and have him realize he says, O God of my righteousness. In other words, God had given him righteousness, not his own righteousness. We see that statement right there in verse number one. But I want you to notice as well his story there in verse number one. Look at what he says Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. And one thing about the the life of David, is David had a vast amount of experiences which he drew from. He started walking with God uh, at a very young age and even as a shepherd boy. And, uh, and it's interesting to see how he references back uh, to, to his past victories in his life. And he says here, he says, "Thou, uh, it's a past tense. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Hey, listen, we ought to have past victories in our life. Uh, You ought to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be things in your life that you say, hey, I prayed for this thing to happen, and God heard my prayer, and he helped me in this time of my life. There ought to be personal victories that you can look back to and say, hey, I can say as the psalmist, in my distress, God enlarged me. They don't have to be big things. I'm not talking about uh, miraculous things. I'm talking about small things that you can start with in your own personal life that you can look back and say, hey, God did this for me. And listen, when he does small things, hey, then he'll do the next thing, and then they'll do the next thing, and you just keep praying and drawing from that and saying, hey, I know God has taken care of me. I can look back at my life and give you testimony over testimony after testimony. But here we have the story of David, and he's saying, hey, he had victory in his life that God had provided him in the past. Not only that, but I want you to notice God's blessing here in in David's story of of the enlargement. Uh, What does that word mean? It means to expand, augment, uh, or release from confinement or straits. Uh, I read that last part, and I thought, well, that's probably the most fitting definition for this verse. It says, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. You ever been in distress? You ever been uh, uh, fearful? And and listen, uh, you're confined. The other day I was with um, Brother Jason Perlack, my friend from college, and uh, I went down to pick up charity and, and he was telling me a story and, and Brother Jason is a, is a great storyteller. If you know anything about Brother Jason, he's a storyteller. And, uh, and he was telling me about this time uh, that somebody was there and, and they got so scared that they, they could not move. Hey, listen, if you're in a distressful situation, if it's something that's stressful and tense and, uh, and, and it's very uh, hard time, uh, listen, you may not be able to move, but, but God, the Bible says, the psalmist says here, he enlarged him or he released him from the confinements or stra- straits of his fear. Hey, listen, may God give us courage. When our enemies surround us, may God give us strength uh, when, when it seems like everything around us is falling apart. The psalmist here, David, is saying, hey, that, uh, uh, that, that God had enlarged him when he was in stress or released him from the, uh, the confinements. And what a blessing to know that God is there and provided for David. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse number one, his supplication. Look at what he says there at the end of the verse. He says, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Uh, I put down there for supplication his plea. Uh, You see it twice. You see it in the beginning. He says, hear me when I call, O God. And then he says it at the end, uh, and hear my prayer. Uh, He was saying, hey, uh, I want you to hear what I'm saying. That's his plea. saying, hey, listen to my prayer, God. Uh, But not only that, but he's asking also for mercy. You know what mercy is? It's not getting what we deserve. I started thinking about that. I thought maybe David was in this, this plight. Maybe he was in the distress because of a mistake that he made in his own life. Hey, have you ever made a mistake in your life? Uh, made a bad decision and, uh, and, and you find yourself in a mess. You say, man, this is my fault. And you know squarely it's my fault. Somebody, a uh, missionary friend of mine, he said, he said uh, great stories are made out of bad decisions. I didn't really like that quote. It's funny But I thought, it kind of almost encourages people to do bad decisions. But we've all made bad decisions in our life. We've all had mistakes in our life. And we end up somewhere where we're like, man, I have really messed things up. And you know what? I'm grateful that in this verse, David is crying out for mercy. And he's saying, God, maybe I've gotten myself in a mess. Maybe I've gotten myself in a pickle. And I recognize that I'm at fault. And I made the mistake. And it's my error. But God, I'm asking not for grace, but for your mercy to help me out of this problem that I've maybe gotten myself into. And listen, I'm reminded of Lamentation 3.22, it Is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hey, praise the Lord for God's mercy. Praise the Lord that He is merciful God. If the truth be known, uh, every one of us, hey, we're, we deserve hell because of our own sins. Because of our own wickedness, but because of the mercy of God. If we've been saved and we've trusted in Him. Hey, we don't go there. We don't get what we deserve. And so we find uh, His plea is for mercy. We find that He's asking for God to hear His prayer. Verse number one, we see the closet of prayer that David is in. Verses two through five, I want you to notice His confrontation of sin. His confrontation of sin. Listen, uh, you won't confront sin in your own life or anybody else's life until you've spent time in the closet of prayer you got to spend time in your knees with God before you can confront sin in your own life or in other people's lives. And we notice that he spent time in that closet of prayer there in verse number 1, though a short prayer, a very sincere prayer, and asking for God's mercy and and going back to uh, the history of when God had blessed David in the past. Look with me at verse number 2 as he confronts uh, sin. We have a confrontation. Look at what he says. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Verse number 2, he's addressing the sinners. He's talking to people that are lost. He says, uh, O ye sons of men, the context clarifies that these are not godly people they're seeking after, that are seeking after God, but they're rather sinners that are seeking after vanity. They're seeking after all these other things in life. And it says it very clearly. How long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Right now you're probably scratching your head saying, seek after leasing. What does that mean? And so I looked it up because I knew you were going to ask. Leasing is, uh, it means vanities, uh, not vanities, it means lies, uh, seeking after falsehoods, seeking after uh, things that are not true. And, and he's saying, he's talking to sinners and he's saying, hey, uh, that, that how long are you going to spin your wheels uh, chasing after vanity? Listen, the world is full of vanity and boy, we get frustrated. I mean, man, they are vain. It's all about themselves. It's all about how much they can gain for themselves. It's all about how they can live their life in this way and get what they want. It's vanity. That's what they're chasing after, and that's what the psalmist accuses of them. He says, How long will ye love vanity? How long will you seek after uh, falsehoods and lies and, and, and all these crazy things that are going on? And, and you can see that even in our world today. Hey, that existed in David's day. I mean, there was vanities, there was lies, uh, there was those that would, uh, that would shame God's glory. What does that mean? Think about this. You ever made something I've I've made some things and I've fixed some things and uh, my my latest accomplishment I've, I know our church knows I uh, uh, I changed my daughter's engine in her car, man I just to th- start that thing up and hear it run I was like wow, praise the Lord I had a lot of hours invested in that and I was like man I I was glad to hear that thing start up, but listen if I'd have spent all that time on it and done all of that and it goes. And I go, and that's all it does. And it never starts up, and it never gets out of my garage. You know what that would have been? It would have been a shame to me. I would not have told the church about it. I would not be up here talking about it. Why? Because it would have been a shame. I'd have been, man, that was, that was an embarrassment, man. Haul that thing off to the scrapyard, never mention a word to it. To anybody that I tried to change an engine, I wouldn't be bragging about that. I wouldn't be proud of that because it was a complete failure and something that I was not able to, uh, to accomplish. And uh, And he's saying here that, hey, listen, man is created in God's image and we ought to be the glory of God, but the rebellious sin nature inside of man has caused man to turn against God and change the glory of God into a shame of God. And he looks at man and he says, man, I'm ashamed of the sinful, wicked condition that man has thrown himself into. And so he's talking about sinners in verse number 2 and he's confronting their sin and he's telling them, how long are you going to continue to to shame God? How long are you going to continue to seek after vanity? How long are you going to seek after the falsehoods and and the ideas of the world that are clearly false and not true? He's asking them, look with me in verse number 3 and he addresses the saved. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Verse number 2, he's, he's giving a contrast. He shows the sinners and how long are they going to live like that. And then verse number 3, he flips it and says, look, the saved, hey, God is set apart for, the, uh, for himself the godly and he's going to hear our prayers. And man, what a contrast, what a difference between the two. The one is ashamed to God, the other has the ear of God and has the attention of God and that he would be set aside for God's service. Boy, what a blessing. Uh, Think about that. You cannot be godly without first being saved. So there's salvation in there, obviously. But listen, being set apart, I'm glad that God separates us. Listen, if you have children or if you ever had children, you know this. You treat your children different than the neighbor kids. Don't you? I mean, your children eat at your table. You say, well, my neighbor kids do too. Well, occasionally you might. But your kids eat at your table morning, noon, and night, and at some point, if your neighbor kids did that, you might say, you know, hey guys, we we need a family night. Why don't you guys go back home? We're gonna have family dinner tonight. Your kids sleep in your house every night. You you provide for your kids. Your kids, you when they get sick, you take them to the doctor. You don't send them elsewhere. You take care of them. Hey, when your kid uh, does something that is wrong, you, hopefully, you discipline and, and correct that child. But you don't do that for the neighbors. And what I'm saying is, listen, God treats us as children far different than he treats uh, those who are not saved. We are set apart and praise the Lord for God's goodness and that he does allow us to eat at his table. He does allow us to sleep in his house. He does care for us and take care of our needs. Hey, he does discipline us when we're bad. Hey, we need that. If he didn't, we ought to be concerned that we're not his child. The book of Hebrews talks about that in verse, chapter number 12. We'll not get into that, but I'm just saying that the Almighty God would pay attention to us and set us apart, as it says there in verse number 3, is quite a contrast to the heathen, and to those who are lost in verse number 2. And so we see the confrontation of sin, the sinners, the saved. But look at verse number 4 as he continues. He says this as he's addressing those that are not saved, the sons of men that are are living for themselves. He says in verse 4, stand in awe. In other words, hey, look how God treats his children. Look at how God treats the lost. Stand in awe. See them and note the difference uh, the, the difference that they have and, and how they're different in their, their attitudes. And he says, and sin not. He's like, look, you need, to, you need to clean up your life. You need to get out of that stuff. We know, of course, you cannot clean up your life without God. But he's saying, hey, stop and look. Stop and observe the difference. Stop and see how the sons of men uh, live their life and change the glory of God into a shame and how the saved are living their life and they ought to be different than the world. Stand in awe of the relationship that they have with God. And he's saying, hey, the world ought to look at us and they ought to know there is something different about those people. They ought to see the joy of the Lord in our life. Let us see the peace of God in our life. I honestly do not understand how the world lives their life and goes through the problems. We go through problems, they go through problems, we all go through problems, but I don't know how they do it without God. We go through problems. We can say, Man, God, I I know you're in control. I, I know you're in charge. And God, I'm trusting you as your child that, that you're going to work out what is best in my life and that you're going to take care of me. And my faith and trust helps me carry me through those difficult times. But if I were lost and I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I'd think, man, how on earth do they go through all of those things? The lost ought to stand in awe and say, wow, that, I don't know how that person did all of that. And may we not say, well, because I'm strong, may we say, well, it's because of God. God made a difference in my life. God helped me through those things. God gave me the strength for that. God enlarged me, as David said, when I was in distress. It's God that is our helper. It's God that is our strength. And the world ought to be able to see that and say, man, I want what they have. Look at what he says in verse number five. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. Wow, what a salvation verse. Hey, praise the Lord. Today, we don't have to offer a sacrifice. I hope nobody brought their little lamb to church tonight. I'm not slitting any lamb's throats. We're not doing a blood sacrifice. Hey, that sacrifice was made on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ shed His precious blood for us and died on the cross of Calvary. Why? Because it's that precious blood that saves us, that washes our sins away, that redeems our soul. Praise the Lord for the salvation of God. And He tells them there in verse number 5, He's saying, hey, uh, he, He tells them to offer sacrifices of righteousness and to put your trust in the Lord. Boy, what a great piece of advice tonight. Hey, take the sacrifice of Calvary that Jesus Christ offered once and for all, for all of eternity and for all of mankind, and put your trust in the Lord. Not in your own righteousness, not in your own goodness, not in your own works, but in God and in Him alone. We see the confrontation of sinners as He deals with them in verses 2 through 5. I love this part in verse number 6. We see contentment in the Lord. We see the closet of prayer in verse number one. We see his confrontation of sin in verses two through four. We see his contentment in the Lord. Look at verse number six and look at the sentiment that the world has. In verse number six, the Bible says, there be many that say, who will show us any good? Wait, you ever run into somebody like that? You ever talk to somebody like that? You're talking to them and, and uh, I've talked to people and, and, and I give them the plan of salvation and, and they say, can God really forgive me? Would God really show me goodness? And I tell them yes, but in their heart they have a hard time believing that and accepting that. They say, who would show me any goodness? Who would love me? Who, who would do something like that for me? They've never experienced that in their life because, uh, because they know that they've lived a hard life. And, and sometimes people really struggle with that. And that's the sentiment that they say in verse number 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? But then look at the next phrase. They say, Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. That's their supplication. Their sentiments is, why would anybody do anything good for us? We're not worthy of that. We're not deserving of that. But their supplication is, hey, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. Hey, I'm glad that Jesus said in the New Testament, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Hey, he said he'd lift up the light. You know what happens when the light and glory of god is shown on your life might not be what you're thinking isaiah said it this way in isaiah 6:5 he said then said i woe is me for i am undone because i am a man of unclean lips i dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts when you stand yourself next to god or even get a small glimmer and glimpse of his holiness and his righteousness and who god is you cannot help but see yourself as a wicked sinner and say man i'm even i'm even worse than i thought i was it's even more unbelievable than I could imagine because the light of God reveals our wicked, sinful state that we are in. And, uh, and just men in the Bible that have seen a glimpse of the glory and goodness and holiness of God realize how vile, sinful, and wicked they truly are. And listen, that's what's happened. And, but they're asking, they're saying, Hey, God, shine thy countenance upon us. We want to see you. Look at verse number 7. Thou hast put gladness in mine heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. You know what the world lives for? In verse number 7, it basically tells us they live for corn and they live for the wine. They live for the the worldly things that they can get their hands on. Now, if you're a farmer, uh, you say, man, I hope I get a bumper crop. We've had a really dry uh, past couple of weeks. But but, you know, if you're a farmer and you're saying, and many of the people in Bible times, they were farmers. And so for them to get extra corn or extra wheat or extra uh, whatever from their fields and from their crops, that was riches to them. It was like getting a bonus in their paycheck. It was like something that was just very prosperous for them. If the grapes grew very... Well, and they they gathered a lot of crops. Hey, they were doing well, and they thought, man, things are going well. We're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna sell more. We're gonna have more, and everything's gonna go well for us. That's what he's saying. The world seeks for all the, uh, the 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 physical things that are on this earth that they can get their hands on, that they can grasp, that they can have for themselves. But listen to what he says there in verse number 7. It says, Thou hast put gladness in mine heart more than in the, the time that their corn and their wine increase. This sounds like a man who's been saved, who's trusted the Lord as his own personal Savior, who says, listen, I... I lived in the world and I had those things and I was content when those came. I mean, boy, uh, but it didn't last. It was just a temporary contentment. It was just a temporary joy that filled the hole in my life. But listen, when I put my faith and trust in the Lord and when He shined His light upon me, hey, listen, that saved, that was more contentment, more joyous than all the corn and wine that I ever pulled out of my fields. And I was far blessed and satisfied. Listen, God's contentment is far better than anything that you could imagine. Listen, even as a Christian, sometimes we get our eyes off of God and off of His goodness and off of His grace, and we get our eyes on everything in this world. Listen, you don't need a new house. You don't need a new car. You don't need a new motorcycle. You don't need a new bass boat. uh, You don't need a new fishing rod. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need a new set of golf clubs. What you need is God's contentment in your life, looking for Him. Hey, and he'll, he'll fill that void. All those other things, they're not, it's not wrong to have a new house. It's not wrong to have a new car. But I'm telling you, if you're trying to fill an emptiness in your life, none of those things are going to fill that. Amen. But God will, Amen. if you look to him. It says there in verse 7, Thou hast put gladness in mine heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Hey, the satisfaction that Jesus Christ and God brings in our life is far greater than anything that this world can offer. Seek after Him. Look at verse number 8. I love this. Contentment in the Lord. It says in verse number 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. We lived in Peru for a long time as missionaries. Donna Carla, our friends, are here, and, and uh, they know in Peru, man, I mean, thieving is just a real problem in Peru. And I remember I, I, I would talk to people, and this was a common problem, at least uh, that we ran into quite a bit. And we'd invite people to church, and, 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 and four out of five of them would come to church. And they would always rotate. We're like, well, what, where's so and so? Oh, they, uh, they're not here today, they're home. And, uh, and you're like, what's, and you started to realize, there's always one person missing. And you sit down and talk with them, you're like, what, what is going on? Why is there always one person missing? Well, and you, you nail them down, and, well, one person has to stay home to guard the house. In reality, they're like, I mean, uh, I talked with one guy and, and, and he said he didn't sleep at night. He, he would stay up at night. He, he may lay down or he may sit down in a chair, but I mean, if there was just even a, so much as a bark of a dog or, or any noise, he would get up and, and he would check his house and make sure that they weren't robbing his house. I'm just saying that is a reality of life in Peru. Listen, not because I'm good or... Not be, I'm probably more paranoid than anybody else in this room. I'll tell you that right now. Lock my, amen. (laughs) He testifies, he knows. I am, man, I lock my doors. I I, I mean, I am like Mr. Security. But you know what? I lay my head down at night and I go to sleep. You know what I do? I'm trusting the Lord. Oh, I'm going to do all the security checks. Yeah, I'm going to lock my doors at night. Yes, I'm going to make sure everything's snug and everything's closed up and and everything's as secure as I can make it. But in the end, it's God that takes care of all of that. And he's the one that gives sleep. He's the one that gives rest. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Hey, listen, it's good to be a Christian and know that you can trust God. You close your eyes, you go to bed tonight, and you sleep, and you say, man, I know whatever problems I'm thinking of, whatever things i can leave them to god sometimes i'm just as guilty as you i mean they run through my mind what about this 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 and my mind says you know what i i need to put it out of my mind and leave that to god i can't change it god can deal with that Amen. and i can't and 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 i have to remind myself hey that I need to give it to God and I need to lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. What contentment there is in the Lord. We see his closet of prayer in verse number one. We see his confrontation of sin. Listen, sin's got to be confronted. Sin's got to be dealt with. And listen, there are people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to be a testimony to them. We ought to be a testimony in the peace of God in our life, in the contentment of God in our life, in, in the joy of God in our life, and all of the things that God does for our life. May people look at our life, and may the world be really jealous or envious of our relationship with God how God takes care of us. Not that we're going to all be driving brand new cars and living in brand new houses. Not that, but that, God, that we would go through those problems holding on to God's hand with joy and faith and saying, you know what? I know God's going to take care of me. And the world would say, that guy is crazy. I'd be doing drugs or drinking myself drunk if I had those kind of problems. But they look at us May they be envious that, hey, we're trusting in God. We know what's going on. We know that there's a God that will sustain us. May we testify to them and let them know, hey, listen, how long are you going to chase after vanities? How long are you going to pursue lies? How long are you going to live your life serving yourself when you can serve God? It's so much better. Because there's a contentment in Jesus Christ. We need to be a witness and a testimony. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your salvation. God, what a great psalm that would tell us of your true goodness.